Before we begin this week's show, I'd like to let you, our dearest monsterbaiters, know that we are preparing to print our depraved merch. And to celebrate this most hallowed of months, Halloween month, we are announcing a giveaway. All you have to do is lend us, Monster Porn Podcast, your support by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. The first 20 monsterbaiters to email info at monsterpornpodcast.com with a screenshot of their review and their mailing address will receive a free monster porn sticker. Then, at the end of the month, we shall draw from these 20 two who will receive free t-shirts. Now you may wear the tentacles that would otherwise wear you. We'd like to thank everyone who has rated and reviewed or supported us in whatever way. We'd like to thank those who have connected over social media. We see you, and you are appreciated. Welcome to Monster Porn, Weird Fiction and Horror Podcast. The podcast that is and remains Hex Positive. This week's story is Counsel from the Cornstalks by Brett Norwood, preceded by the checkout line by me, Matt Cummins. feel like we need to talk about what happened on Thunder Mountain, what God said. Brett, if you finish that thought, I swear to God you'll die. What I meant to say was that I have another idea. Yeah? Yes. So we can't cast the demon back from whence he came by performing an exorcism. I've never actually agreed with you more. Good. So what we need to do is coax the demon to leave of his own accord. We need to offer him a more attractive option. Okay, go on. I decided to pore over the words of the Sefer Hashlamil, and I found a reference to a 4th century AD village that had suffered the wrath of a demon called the Desolator. I believe this to be referring to our bacon fiend. The whole village died. In the text, it said that they failed to exorcise the demon despite all their best efforts. Wait, efforts? What do you mean, efforts? They did as their god advised them. They died? They died? A whole village died from- Yes, Matt. They died from widespread necrosis of the rectal walls leading to sepsis. Apparently, no one would confess to summoning the demon. So the lord of the land decreed everyone was to suffer the lechery of Ironwood Hammerloins IV. Glad to see him making the history books this ancestor of mine. He diddled them all to death. Conjecture on my part, of course, but the pictures in the illuminated manuscript were unmistakable. Pictures? 
<laughs> yeah, I bet you've got a bookmark on that page, don't you? As a matter of fact, I do. The book suggested that such a demon could be disposed of in other ways. Tempting it to leave of its own accord seems the most rational to me. For this, however, we require more information on the pig and why he is here. We must earn the pig's trust and then allow him to leave as though it were his own idea. But in the meantime, we have to give this devil his due and read some monster porn. My daughter and I play this game, you see, the young checker says as he slides canned meats across the scanner. When we shop, I put her in the cart. I fold down the plastic platform and slide her legs through the holes. A plastic seat with a small metal rack for a back support. What a joke, right? The old lady stares at him. She is silent, but there is a look spreading over her face. The young man, Carl, it says on his silver name tag, sees this but goes on. He needs to tell his story. To get his thoughts out in front of him, like the groceries on the counter, so he can hold them, feel them, and make sure they're real. He pauses and stops scanning groceries. A whole squad of stewed tomatoes are in queue, but Carl is thinking. The old lady flashes him a look. Irritation? Not quite. She looks like one of those ladies you'd expect to see in the loony bin. An 80s perm of white hair and red-framed glasses that are so thick her blue eyes look like they're trying to pop off of her face. Now let's see. I put her in the cart, and then right in the middle of shopping I shove the cart forward. She throws her hands in the air, and I pretend I can't catch up, but I'm reaching and reaching. And then at the last second, I catch the cart. It's not going to crash. I don't shove it that hard. And then she squeals with laughter. People stare. Young people look at me, annoyed. But the old people, the old people get it. They seem to know that the laughing of a child is a good sign. Hell, it almost gives them hope, but... The old lady is starting to look around. But it isn't irritation that Carl sees. It is confusion. He follows her eyes and sees the line has gotten longer, and other customers are looking at the racks, meant to catch impulse shoppers as they enter the door. The doors. Do you smell that? the lady asks. Fresh baked bread every day, Carl says, but the words just fall out as if he said them hundreds, no thousands of times before. Maybe a hundred thousand times, he thinks. Bread, she says, but she looks distant and unsure. Carl feels a presence behind him, and it is his manager, Ted. Ted doesn't speak, but he looks amused. My daughter, he says, and then he tries to form a mental picture of her. And he, he can't. That was a long time ago, but something happened. Something. There's a splitting pain in Carl's temples. He puts his hand against them and presses. There is a memory, a memory of something horrible. But trying to remember is like sticking his head inside of an oven. 
It sets his mind into blinding white pain. Carl hears a chuckle. It's his manager, Ted. Ted. What, what is it? The old woman asks, suddenly looking interested. Go on. She reaches across the counter and grabs Carl's hand. She looks awake. The rest of the customers are coming closer, gravitating closer. But they don't look like they realize this. They are still shopping, crowding into the aisles of the other checkers, the faceless other checkers, looking at the magazine racks, mints and lip balms, bumping into one another without noticing. This is all wrong, Carl thinks. Ted chuckles. Carl smells something. It reminds him of a trip to Yellowstone he took with his family once. A trip to one of the few places where the earth bleeds its stinking insides out, and that is when he realizes the smell is sulfur. Go on, Ted says, and his smile seems supernaturally large and toothy. Carl remembers. I... I was driving my truck, and then, and then something ran out, and he puts his hand against his ears, but it doesn't block the sound he is remembering. He can hear the screeching of twisting metal and the rain shower of broken glass. He feels a pain in his back, but it's cut short. He's paralyzed, and there is so much blood. No, th- this, this is all wrong. He checked groceries once when he was a junior in high school, but it had been at least 15 years. That was the summer of the sexual assault allegations. It was the worst summer of his life. Now he looks up and realizes all of these customers are familiar. They are the faces around town who cast their judgment through sideways glances and snide remarks. Carl the pervert. Carl the rapist, even though he'd never been guilty. The old lady looks up at him intently. All of the other customers have stopped shopping and are watching him as though they were slowly waking up. The smell of sulfur is suffocating. He looks out the doors, but there is nothing but a blackness moving to the sounds of a slow drum. A pulsating blackness. Carl begins to choke on the acidic miasma that the air has become. Then the customers hold their breath, and Ted wails hysterical laughter. Carl remembers everything. And then... An old woman pushes her red glasses up under her nose as she approaches the checkout line. A preoccupied young man takes her groceries, and slides them across the scanner. She gets the feeling for a moment that she has been here before. He is telling her something, but she doesn't quite remember what it is. Something is wrong. Something smells wrong. Do you smell that? she asks. Fresh baked bread every day, the young man says.
Amadeus passed among the cornstalks, which were dried and tied in bundles that stood throughout the garden like teepees. Go and pick a pumpkin, his mother had instructed, for the custard tomorrow. Toward this end, Amadeus possessed a serrated knife from the kitchen, which he carried in his overalls. Amadeus did not gaze into the hollows of the cornstalk bundles, where sometimes they faced him like the gaping portals of impish hovels. As he passed toward the pumpkin vine, he slowed his steps among the cornstalks, wary. Down on the road, a horse cart rattled, and its horses clopped. In the naked apple trees, two ravens called back and forth. On the hill above the road, there loomed a mansion of an Englishman, high-gabled and made of brick and tile-roofing, with whitewashed cornices, with an unsmoking chimney, and full of covered forgotten furniture. Amadeus's heart skipped, for he heard a voice. Amadeus! A confidential whisper croaked. The air hung still as a bleached white funeral pall. No one was near. Amadeus! It beckoned, and Amadeus leaned an ear toward the nearby bundle of bone-dry cornstalks. Who calls me? Amadeus wondered. I am here. It came. I use house is in the bundle you now near. Where in the hollow that now sees the evening sun, I am warmed by the highest titan's rays. The sun slid toward the setting on the other side of the stalks, away from Amadeus's eyes, and its inhabitant remained hidden. Are you a kobold, then, for whom we leave the cornstalks to dry like huts? That you have a house your own and don't seek to winter in ours, as my mother says, Yea, Amadeus, he answered. Kobold be ye evil, then, a devil. Yea, Amadeus, yet not say evil I, as one who waits at the mansion is wicked, where now your Sophia plays with an elder boy, Brahm. Amadeus let the tone of his reply darken, saying, What care then have I if she has him to keep her? She him, the kobold bid him wonder. Why does he have her? I care not, Amadeus returned. None will save her from ruin, if not yourself, Amadeus. What evil then awaits her, you lesser evil self-named? Let us say, Amadeus. That some mortals manage not so well the mindfulness that any moment may take away heaven's light and earthen touch. No matter how well or ill, how rich or poor, death may rob what men mean to keep from him in lock and key. Aye, but verily they keep what was his all along, and men have stolen away, but for a moment. Let us say, Amadeus, that there be but one mistress below the ground, and many other ways to her, nigh as many paths as pilgrims. Let us say that a man once lived yon, 
even Mr. Bartley, the first, who withheld no expense to heap lock and chain and gate upon the germ of mortal spark. And so doing, Kinder, Mr. Bartley may have removed restraints from one who more needed the chain and cage he borrowed to keep him elsewhere than God's creation. Amadeus watched the mansion on the hill and strained his ears to hear whether any noise or word wafted from hence. All he heard were the coarse ravens in the naked apple trees. Only the evil deny the counsel of the heart that's good, the kobold spoke. Your heart counsels you now. On whom may one count if one cannot count? On the one who loves her. Let her count on God, Amadeus answered. Who loves her? It's said on Sundays. Have men not heard the rumor from heaven? The spirit spoke. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are Namora household, and men must depend on the things of earth instead. I'm well enough learned to know the tone of blasphemy, Amadeus told him. Be gone, little devil, in the name of the... the... The imp interrupted him with a burst of laughter and fell swiftly silent. Be ye yet here, Amadeus whispered. After a moment's breath, the spirit spoke. I'd run. Amadeus hurried toward the mansion on the hill. He took the trail that began by the gooseberries and went into the brambles, and he crossed the crystal creek on the trees that lay across it, and progressed with haste toward the dry grass and scrub of the hillside. The yard of the old mansion was overgrown. The old marble sundial barely topped the dead grass and weeds. Unkempt cottonwoods and hedges had taken over more than their intended purview. The lilac and the bleeding heartbush still bloomed, out of season, Amadeus thought, near to the marble steps. Amadeus lay his palm on the pine tree and hid himself behind its trunk. He did not see Sophia Voss, neither did he Brahm von Asch. Only the rotting apples of the apple tree not far ahead, which lay strewn over the walking path. Amadeus proceeded onto that path, which connected what had been a flower garden to the kitchen door of the mansion. And following the path, with his hands tucked in his overalls, he gazed toward the shuttered house, he stepped over a worm crossing the paving stones without squashing it. About that time, a cool breeze came sharply in from the north, rattling the last leaves in the trees. He heard a small sound and found behind him. A fallen apple was rolling across the path after his heel. But before the apple met his foot, it met the worm. And Amadeus watched as the apple yawned wide to eat the worm. Amadeus ducked into the breeze and ran around the corner of the house. Behind the kitchen, a set of marble stairs descended toward a cellar access. The cellar door, rotten, hung open, and Amadeus, seeing the darkness, gave it a wide berth. It may be I must adventure into this house, he thought to himself. But if she will not love the one who saved her life, she won't love anyone. In the back acre, centered between sentinel pines, was the mausoleum, 
partly collapsed where the ceiling stone had slid aside, its granite tympanum streaked black from the century of rain, and its corner upset by the growth of a tree root beneath. It wore the given names Grigor and Lorelei over the surname Bartley. Between the given names, there was worked a staved cross of archaic tradition. From thence, the open portal, there came a moan, as if of one waking from the dead. Amadeus drew near. As the boy stuck his head in to look, he saw first the slab, the man's, was tenanted by a sarcophagus. But the woman's was not, and there Brahm's flesh heaved between Sophia's fair-skinned legs. She, seeing past Brahm, screamed at the gaping portal. Amadeus began to yell, but all that was heard was the bark of a dog. Something dark swirled together in Amadeus's heart, for he gripped his mother's kitchen knife in his pocket, a fire with anger that Brahm could destroy the decency of his beloved, and perhaps more so, that his beloved would let him. What Sophia saw, and that toward which she cried was shortly laughed at, to Amadeus's confusion. For Brahm asked her, What is it? Are we found out? And she answered him, laughing, Yea, sniffed out by the mere nose of a mongrel. Amadeus ran. He ran across the yard through the waist-high grass and weeds and stopped clutching the edges of the sundial. The shadow of the gnomon, no longer than a finger, bled across the dial and flooded the grass and ran all the way over town in the valley below. Amadeus caught his breath and hurried on. When he came back to the cornfield, as he got close, he could see the two skinny brown legs with knobby knees of the kobold seated inside, poking out into the sun. One gangly hand moved onto his right knee. Otherwise, he didn't move but said, Amadeus, Amadeus, you return. Amadeus stopped short of being able to see inside the corn hut. The white stayed still as a wax statue as he continued speaking. Did you save your love from ruin? What ruin, Amadeus demanded. The only ruin is the ruin injured upon her by corruption of morals. What say you, O friend of God? Say, all I hear now is the whine of a dog. What do you mean, evil one? The stalks rustled. Out projected a long arm, which clasped by the handle a vanity mirror, even cast in silver or pewter, albeit tarnished and upside down. Amadeus towed closer. The hand was unsteady, and as the creature's grip shifted to correct itself on the handle, the mirror face swung toward the hollow of the bundle. Amadeus gasped as he caught sight of a bare jaundiced shoulder, but the mirror was swiftly righted again to face him, and his breath stopped altogether, as the surface proffered the vision of a common mutt. As he made sense of this phantasm, he beheld his own proper body given by God, yet topped with the head of a dog, like some pagan idol or Catholic abomination of St. Christopher. The kobold spoke, pulling back the mirror into darkness. Amadeus, the evil one who threatened was the one who clutched the knife. 
The one who saved was he who released the knife. I told you the salvation is now the providence of the implements of the earthly. The same earth whence springs the evil. How is it that I am now a mongrel? Amadeus demanded. Oh, friend of God, the devil spoke. Doubtless your barking intones now plaintive query, and just protestation both. Say, so let me answer. One such as I, a familiar of the darker arts, would suppose there are two possibilities to be rid of the visage you now own. One, go to the mansion and bid the spirit give you your beloved's heart. Two, go swiftly to the church and pray whoever may hear to forgive your sins. Amadeus gazed up to the mansion, and then down the road, and again to the mansion. Yes, said the spirit. Well chosen, kinder. Either restores your visage to the natural and God-given, but only one choice also offers what you even more desire. The door to the kitchen was open when he returned. A woman in Victorian attire busied herself at the stove. Turning her face halfway toward Amadeus, she smirked without looking at him and opened her mouth to speak. Her eyes were lined in coal. The kitchen smelled of nutmeg and almond. Her voice was husky, rich. Pain padu, she asked. A skillet heated on the stove, wherein she now deposited a small measure of butter which spat and slid. Yes, Mrs., Amadeus said, eyeing the ingredients she had arrayed. I do love the French toast. Oh, ha, she chuffed. We do call it by the proper name, Pain Perdue. Now, is it not good to hear your God-given voice again, Amadeus? I scarcely noticed I was a dog, Mrs. This made her laugh, yet with well-mannered restraint. She was attractive, gaunt, and dark. Are you a witch, missus? With a snort of air, she shook her head. My dear, you are direct in your words. No, child. Oh, I just imagined that since you live in this haunt and were English and you knew something of spirits... Amadeus, she interrupted. I am the spirit. Now here. She shoveled a slice of fried bread on the plate waiting upon the weathered wooden table. The table was freshly cleaned, as was the rest of the interior of the mansion, by appearances. I pray you, missus, do you have maple syrup? Ha, she answered, so Yankee, through and through, aren't you? We use sugar syrups in our house. Here it is, she said, pouring it from a warm saucepan onto his toast. Who else lives here? Amadeus wondered. Oh, what do you mean, dear child? You said our house, didn't you? Oh, I see. A slip of habit, you understand. I am a widow now. Are you Mrs. Bartley, then? She faced him and leveled her agate eyes for the first time on his. I am. This is good, Amadeus said, following his first bite. Thank you, Mrs. Bartley. She smiled, tight-lipped. 
So, so I am cured then. He stopped his fork and watched for her answer. I can go home and be, isn't there something else you wish to ask me, Amadeus? The cornwhite whispered a secret to me, you know. Amadeus turned and saw the mausoleum through the window, in which one of the lower squares of glass was broken roughly in half. I don't know, he said to her. You don't? I don't hold hope for what I'd ask not any more. Oh dear, dear child, don't you know that hope is the one virtue that both heaven and hell laud in common? That fallen lord may be lost as toward faith and love. But even he commends hope, and hope not ever lost. So hold on to your hope, child. It will get you far, whether far above or far below. The, the kobold said that God is no more. This can't be true, can it? Tell me, Amadeus, O friend of God, the woman cooed. It is written he is nearer you than your very soul. So look within yourself, and you tell me whether any god is there. Amadeus ate French toast sullenly. After a while, he glanced out at the mausoleum. I wish that she loved me like she loves him. The woman stopped working and listened, and shortly after she answered, Innocent boy. What in the world makes you believe she loves him? When you wish, choose your words wisely, for we become the words we choose, well or ill. She doesn't love him? Amadeus wondered. It made him sicker, and he pushed aside the French toast, which now almost tasted of dust and the musty air of the old mansion. No, Amadeus, I'm afraid she loves herself, or rather wishes to. For she clings to whoever seems to weaken that hatred she has for herself. It is her pride he pets. You will come to understand in time. I wish, I wish it was not so, Amadeus said. That, that is a better wish, dear. Albeit vague should your demon be bending ear sans context. I wish God didn't make it this way. Why should he make it this way? What God has made, men alone have stained, Amadeus. Listen. If you wish for her heart, you do well to learn the depth of what I just told. For in it is the very secret of her heart, Amadeus. So deep not even she knows it fully. He exploits it by chance. You may sow by wit with but a little craft. I thought that you could just grant my wish... That is what the thing in the corn told me. No, child. The implements of salvation are now in the hands of men, as he also told you. Yet, there remains much to be learned from spirits. For one having ears to hear and will to listen. I, I fear for my soul. Who told you that you have one? The dark mahogany floorboards opened to swallow Amadeus, who descended into darkness in the cellar, where he floated in his chair over the bare dirt, and where a single candle waited in the air, faintly illuminating the walls of casks and wine bottles veiled in dust. The woman's voice emerged from the air as if she were there with him. Drink of wisdom, stored and aged. 
I have never taken wine or spirit, Amadeus told her. Only beer with sup. There was a movement in the far shadow, like willow branches brushing in the wind. What is yon? What is yon? Amadeus cried. Mrs., make the light on. Something's down here. A skinny stick reached the shelf and pulled forth a bottle. Another stick-like appendage emerged to help bear it. It climbed the shelving and got onto the crossbeams of the floor above, which were draped with webs like a rotting wedding dress. The thing held the bottle toward Amadeus with long arms and approached. The candlelight showed a cellar spider. Its pill-shaped body was the size of a sausage, but its penny-width legs extended a full yard each. Ah! Amadeus screamed. A daddy long-legger! Mrs. The spider uncorked the bottle with its mandibles. Do not fear, Amadeus, the woman's voice assured. What you drink shall make you stronger in the road of hope, to take all that you will to take. The spider offered the uncorked bottle to Amadeus in his floating chair. Images of Sophia, denuded and taken, flooded him. Amadeus replaced Brahm in the memory with himself. He felt angry, but full of righteous fury as well, and he smiled. Then Sophia was also replaced. He fantasized of Mrs. Bartley in the kitchen, and her letting down the shoulder of her sundress. Amadeus approached her from behind, and it was a superior vision even to the former. The woman's words echoed, Take all that you will to take. Amadeus rallied courage and received the wine into his hands. The cellar spider retreated several yards on the ceiling and seemed to watch. Already Amadeus felt strong. He felt brave. Merely holding the supernatural drink made him feel powerful. But then, in his mind, it was summer, with the hyacinths in bloom. The warm breeze caressed his cheek in the yard of the church, with its white steeple rising into the blue heaven. And he saw Sophia Voss coming down the steps from the church doors in her Sunday dress, and she saw him and smiled. They had talked an hour under the apple tree that Sunday. Amadeus felt sick. What had brought him warmth now curdled with the thought that she had betrayed that holy church and everything she'd ever been taught, and now he, he was doing the same. And why for? Because the creation was soured by the desires of men, and soured was everything that the sourness touched. He cast the bottle aside. It struck the dirt, heavy with liquor, and in the candlelight he saw something like blood pouring out, and it was full of small white eyes. Amadeus slept from the haunted chair onto the ground and turned, looking for the door that had earlier been ajar and finding it not. Instead he found a simple wooden ladder and a hatchback to the main floor. He emerged into the pantry in the company of potato sacks and bags of flour whose contents had rotted a century prior, and he turned the brass knob opening into the kitchen, which now lay covered in dust and desolate. Only, on the rutted old table there remained a plate, discolored and holding a half of a slice of desiccated blackened bread, and his stomach turned. Amadeus ran down the hill as fast as his legs would carry, and never looking back. He crossed the Crystal Creek and wound through the Aspen to make the road, which brought him to the church. Amadeus tarried on the steps. Now the yard was dead. Summer was dead. 
The cloudless sky above was gray like old linens, and the whitewashed steeple seemed jaundiced. He feared his very flesh should burn as he passed through those doors now. He felt an alien to God's kingdom. Yet he knew what he must do. He needed pray for the forgiveness of God. Slowly, he placed his front leg on the step. The pastor emerged and saw him. Shoo, he shouted. Go now. The pastor seized Amadeus by the scruff of his neck and turned him about, swatting him on the rump. This is no place for dogs, the pastor told. Back to your farm with ya. Shoo. After many days, Amadeus never found the doors of God, both unlatched and unguarded. Hey, Puggles. What do you want? Well, uh, this this whole Ark of Solomon thing, uh, it's a bad idea on our part, so we're just gonna let you out? What? The fuck is wrong with you? Well, really, we don't even know if you've done anything all that bad. And we just wanted to ask you some questions. I mean, you know, you've been around for centuries. I mean, who knows how long. So you might have some advice, maybe? Yeah. yeah, I advise you to suck it. Glad to see the confinement hasn't hurt his spirits. Open the door and free the swine, Matt. <laughs> so, what exactly do you do here, Puggles? I collect things. Oh. Cool, I see. Um, yeah, where do you keep them, then? Under my bed in your daughter's room. What? Oh, calm the fuck down. I don't hurt children. I only shepherd their souls into the everlasting darkness. Besides, she gave me the fluffy blanket and the nightlight. I, okay, I don't, I don't really know if that's any... Better, but anyways, here's my daughter's room, and what the fuck is that? Hello? Is, is, is someone out there? Why, why is everything so blurry? It's a head. It's a head in a jar. What do you mean? Oh, it's you two, the ones who ruined my chance at Mothman. Oh, hey, Desolator. I thought you weren't coming back. When are we going out for another walk? Wait, you like him? Are you kidding me? I've searched my whole life for an entity such as this. But you're just a head. <clears throat> she doesn't know. 
Best not to tell. Ahead. Ahead. Ahead of the curve on, on investigating. My god, the disembodied head doesn't know. So then, what do you two do with all that time? Well, yeah, you know, just, uh, dude, dude stuff, yeah. Yeah, lots of dude stuff. Well, we watched a notebook yesterday. I went through a whole box of tissues. Puggles? What? I've always respected Nicholas Sparks after I haunted his soul. This is a literal match made in hell. What do we do with this? Uh, pretend we don't know. Go on with life. See you in two weeks. Patrick, what's your favorite quote from the notebook? Listen to this one. You can't live your life for other people. You've got to do what's right for you. Even if it hurts the people that you love. Oh, oh that, that's, that, that's, a, that's a good one, but listen to this. You are and always have been my dream, all oh, puggles. That's so true of you. Patrick, you are my best friend as well as my little what? Not you, my lover. I don't know which uh, which side of you I enjoy the most. <laughs> I treasure each side. <laughs> oh, Puggles, here's, here's another one. Just so true. I love you. I am who I am because of you. You are every reason, every hope, every dream I've ever had. And no matter what happens to us in the future, every day we are together is the greatest day of my life. I will always be yours. Oh, 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 listen, listen to this one. We fell in love, despite our differences. And once we did, something rare and beautiful. <laughs> was created for for me love like that has only happened once and that's why every minute we spend together has been seared <laughs> into my memory i'll never forget a single moment of it oh here's a good one too my daddy said that the first time you fall in love it changes you forever and no matter how hard you try, that feeling never goes away. If you're a bird, then I'm a bird. Oh, that was, that was beautiful. You and I were different. We came from different worlds, and yet... You were the one who taught me the value of love. You showed me what it was like to care for another. I'm a better demon because of it. I don't want you to ever forget that. Amadeus, the evil one. Oh, my throat is done. I treasure each side. <laughs> Just as I have treasured our lives together. 
<laughs> I was trying so hard not to really laugh during that because I was <laughs> getting the story. Get the it. building. What's that? Oh, that last. This is a literal match made in hell. Yeah. What do we do with this? Uh, put it in the spank bank? What? Oh, never mind. See you in two weeks.